Hello and welcome to this podcast from CityWire in association with Aberdeen. My name is Katrin Schindler. I'm deputy editor of CityWire Engage. And today I'm joined by Fiona Manning, senior investment director on the Emerging Market Equity team and her colleague Sam Bevan, who's an investment director for Emerging Market Debt. Emerging markets have arguably come a long way. Once viewed as the dark corners of the global economy, they are now simply too big to ignore. And as investors want to get a piece of all the action, the number of EM-focused funds and strategies has mushroomed. Fiona, let's start by taking a look at the range of emerging market products out there. How would you say has it changed over the past five years? I think we've seen quite a significant evolution over over the last five years. Obviously, we've seen a number of of mainstream um, funds coming to market, um, both from smaller boutiques, but also um, larger houses. And that encompasses the the full range of investment style outcomes from value to to growth to to, to quality. Um, Although I think it's fair to say over the last five years, growth funds have really been in the ascendancy compared to, to some of the other investment styles. But where I think we've seen the greatest shift has been around the integration of ESG and, and sustainable um, funds that we, we've obviously seen a significant acceleration across all equity um, regions with regard to, to the focus on sustainability investing. Um, but I think within with regard to emerging markets, it's there where um, the, the product outcomes have, have really developed quite considerably over, over the last five years. We've shifted away from um, negative screening as, as the primary way of, of narrowing down your investable universe and, and in sort of taking into consideration client concerns around ethical and um, and socially responsible investment um, issues. Um, and of course, with, with negative screening, you um, you always have the issue of, of which particular client's ethical concerns need to be taken into consideration. So that can vary quite considerably market by market and, and client by client. And I think what we're seeing today is much more focus on positive allocation to companies from a sustainability perspective. And that can range from best in class companies um, to looking to identify those companies that have an improving trajectory from an ESG perspective, um, all the way across to to investing um, in companies that are able to deliver positive impact um, and and measurable positive impact. Um, And I I think that's quite an exciting development as asset allocators and and underlying clients and stakeholders become much more concerned with the way that that their assets are managed and the types of companies that they're invested in. Now, you've just touched on this ESG has found its way into emerging markets, but um, how does the increasing interest in sustainable products affect your investment process. Sam, maybe you want to chime in here as well? Originally, there was a real focus on corporate governance all the way back to when we started investing in emerging markets. It was a really key focus for ourselves. And that has kind of evolved into more focus on the environmental and and social aspects and how they can also be drivers of the fundamentals for, for companies. On the on the debt side, you've really seen the, the emergence of green social and sustainability linked bonds. So they've gone from being 5% of the corp- the EM corporate debt market in 2018 to around a third of the issuance year to date. Um, and not all of these bonds are created equal, like the standards has had to improve and evolve over time. Um, so internally, we've implemented a green bond framework so that we can compare the different types of bonds to ensure they are meeting those the minimum standards um, for investment. I'd also think, like um, Fiona touched on, 
how there's been that kind of transition away from negative screens, but they are still being implemented very much for social and responsible investing clients. And there's this this kind of phenomena and drive away from investing potentially in fossil fuels and exclusions around that, which is being led by some of the big pension funds that are that are coming out with public statements of divestment here. So I think there was a survey done on debt investors and around a third of debt investors were saying over the next three years that they'd be reducing their allocation to, to fossil fuels. So these kind of overarching trends on the market technicals are, are, are worth monitoring. Fiona, what role does active engagement actually play in your investment process? And then also, how has your attitude towards it changed over the past five years? Yeah. So um, in- engagement has always been a, a key part of, of our process on, on the equity side and, and also for, for Sam on, on the debt side. Um, it's something we've done really since the inception of, of our investment um, sort of philosophy and, and process. And I think it, it, it serves um, a couple of functions. Uh, you know, primarily for us, it's about developing those relationships um, being able to understand better what companies are doing. Um, and that, of course, gives you um significant investment insights. So it allows us to make better investment decisions on on behalf of our clients. Uh, But also importantly, it allows us to identify areas for potential change. Um, and we are very active in the engagement that we have with companies um, around our ability as key stakeholders in these businesses to um, to effectively take great companies and, and make them better and to be um, a real active owner, taking a seat at the table, having those, um, you know, having those, those conversations. I'd say over the last five years, the topics on which we engage have really broadened out to, to take into consideration many more of the environmental and social risks and opportunities of of the companies that that we invest in. Um, And we undertake a huge number of engagements every year, um, both led on the desk by um, fund managers and and portfolio managers themselves, but also, as as Sam mentioned, with the support of our our central ESG um, colleagues on on the thematic side. Um, and, um, And what we found over the years is that having those conversations as a as a capital allocator, as a fund manager, is really critical for companies to really understand the importance of those issues to us and to the investment case. And it's also critical for us to be able to value um, the companies and to understand how those risks and opportunities feed into the earnings profile, into the, um, the relative valuations of companies within particular sectors and, and within particular markets. Mm-hmm. Now, emerging market companies have arguably been slower to adopt ESG targets than their counterparts in developed economies, but that's not necessarily the main issue. And instead, it's the lack of real-time information that many investors find most hindering in a way. Um, Sam, how do you overcome the data challenge in emerging markets? I think, yeah, there's three approaches, I suppose, three ways of looking at it. In terms of sustainability data and impact data, as part of broadening out our sustainable development investment approach um, for companies that we are assessing, we are looking to track at least three metrics in terms of the impact that they are producing. So we're aligning them with the UN SDGs. And then we're saying, okay, this is the data that we're going to track to to see how that alignment goes over time and, and see what impact the company is actually making. Some of this data will come from third-party sources like the IMF, 
like the OECD reports, but some of it will be self-reported. And yeah, there is there can be that kind of data issue there that you're relying on that self-reported data. What we find is when you actually engage with the companies is that they have a lot of this data here. They're just not necessarily externally reporting it. Um, the second element really is, is touching on that engagement piece is going on the ground. We do a lot of on the ground research. We go visit the, the, the countries that we invest in. So prior to the pandemic on the debt side, we were visiting over 80 countries a year as a team. Uh, we look to do one or two trips each a year. Um, and really getting on the ground, meeting the companies, going to to the site of those companies. So going and seeing the operations firsthand, uh, meeting management on in, in their own head offices. You get that additional um, information that you wouldn't necessarily get if you weren't going your boots on the ground. And also you can also speak to, to people on the ground. So like that conversation that you have uh, with the taxi driver around how they are finding life at the moment, how difficult life is in terms of inflation, in terms of other economic drivers, what the, how are politics sitting in the country at the moment. Those kind of, those kind of conversations, anecdotal conversations can be really important to picking up, to picking up like different information sources. And Fiona, from an equity perspective, how important is it to have boots on the ground and what actually makes a quality company? Yeah, having um, having that contact, direct contact with the management teams, with the decision makers, um, is is critical to understanding uh, to understanding the the businesses that that we invest in. So, you know, that direct contact is is really important to understanding the businesses. The other aspect that, that we get very involved in from an equity perspective, although is, is less relevant from a debt perspective, is, of course, the boards. Um, you know, we exercise our votes, but we also, where we have offices on the ground, attend AGMs. And often we're the only institutional investor at those AGMs. So we build up those relationships with the boards, with the independent directors, with the, the, the chairs of those boards. And that can be um, a really valuable um, second dialogue around the oversight and the strategic direction of, of some of the businesses. So I would say that having that breadth of contact is also really, um, really important. As to what makes a, a quality company, um, I think, um, you know, generally we're looking for really well-managed businesses. And, and internally, we have sort of a, a soft sort of five aspects of quality that, that we're looking for when it comes to, to, to the companies we invest in. Um, the first two are really around sort of the, the sectoral exposures and importantly, the economic moat that the company has been able to build. So how have they been able to develop that sustainable competitive advantage? Um, um, you know, how do they how does that give them pricing power and control over operational costs, which, of course, is critical in the kind of inflationary environment that, that we're seeing today? But also, how do they maintain those relationships with their critical clients in that kind of um, kind of um, market environment? Um, and that can give you a really good understanding of their ability to generate those returns across the business cycle and, and their long term um, ability to 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 deliver alpha effectively from a um, from an investment perspective. Um, the, the sort of third and fourth aspects are around management and, and the financials. So again, it's about that long-term track record. You know, do you have a management team who are properly incentivized, who are able to deliver those returns? Are you as a minority investor well protected in, in um, the way that the, the business has been set up? And is the management team managing 
those returns and delivering those returns in a prudent way with regard to, to the financial. So we spend a bit of time looking at, at those sorts of things um, as well. And then finally, um, and most importantly, is the is the ESG quality of a, of a business. You know, how does the company measure their ESG risks and opportunities? How do they monitor those? Are they incentivized in the right way? And can they really take advantage of the opportunities that, that their particular market presents to them? Um, and how do they, you know, how do they do that? And, and you know, when you get a, a tick in the box for all of those five components, um, then you can be fairly sure that we're, we're looking at a best in class company. Mm -hmm. I guess the only question now is where do you actually find companies with such distinct features or in other words um, where are you currently seeing opportunities in emerging markets ultimately the opportunities come from the bottom-up stock selection process the research that we do and our ability to identify the individual companies that are able to deliver all of those um, quality attributes but in terms of sort of the types of businesses that, that we're looking at today um, you know that uh, that recovery in the investment cycle um, that, that we're starting to see coming through um, we believe is, is still a, a huge opportunity within emerging markets um, and we still believe that um, that shift to renewables will continue to be an attractive investment opportunity. Um, however, some of the valuations are a little challenging in some of the more traditional aspects of, of that. So the solar businesses, the, the, the wind turbine manufacturers, for example. But where we do still see um, opportunity are um, other areas that are adjacent to that. So, for example, companies like Power Grid in India, where the level of investment that's required in upgrading the grid to allow renewables to enter into the grid and then to be transmitted from um, the parts of the country that are able to generate renewable energy to those big urban conurbations that are using that, that energy is still really attractive. A longer term structural trend that we're seeing in emerging markets is that of financial inclusion. And that's about broadening out the customer base, bringing new marginalized clients into the formal banking sector and offering them more products um, within that, that banking relationship. Um, um, and so I think that, that that's another area where we do see good opportunities for, for long-term growth as well as the, the shorter-term um, tailwinds that, that come from um, a more um, inflationary and, and sort of positive interest rate cycle. Fantastic. Sam, if I could bring you in here, um, which areas do you find particularly promising from a fixed income perspective? We are long-term investors, so we're only investing in companies that we uh want to invest in for the the holding period the whole holding period of the bond so when we buy a bond in the primary market our intention is to to own it to maturity um generally um what what you find in the em debt markets you find very interesting opportunities in the sense that you will get because there is a sovereign ceiling to credit ratings so say a country like guatemala will be rated double b by the rating agencies But then the companies that actually issue debt um, from Guatemala end up being these blue chip companies and the market leaders in the space that they uh, actually are in. So like the market leading telecom company recently issued a bond. Um, they have a, a 40% market share in mobile and similarly in broadband. So they, they have this incredible moat that like Fiona was talking, that the economic moat that that company has is very strong. Uh, leverage is low. Uh, cash flow generation is very high. Management is also very super strong as well. But they 
uh, even though they have an investment grade like balance sheet, they have to issue with a high yield coupon because of that that sovereign ceiling on their rating. So you can you can pick up interesting opportunities like that where you have these market leading, very strong companies that have to issue with high yield interest rates. So that, that we and that having the depth of resources to cover. Guatemala on a sovereign side, but also all the different companies that may issue from there is is super important. In terms of the overall marketplace, emerging market debt is a very fast growing marketplace. There's probably around 800 companies in the investable universe, but that continues to grow. So we see inaugural issuers come all the time. Um, And increasingly, we're seeing those that have sustainable business models that are really focused on sustainability. They're really focused on delivering on meeting the SDGs. So as part of our sustainable development approach, we've been aligning them with which the SDGs that we think they align to. So we're seeing more interesting opportunities there. Looks like it's going to be an eventful year for EM investors, both on the equity and the fixed income side. Fiona, Sam, this was delightful. Thanks so much for your time. 